When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spectres, we are interrupting your scheduled programming to bring you a special episode of the Mass Effect Lorecast. Reaper indoctrination is an insidious means of corrupting organic minds. I am assuming direct control. Listen to yourself. You're indoctrinated. Someone has signed up for our Reaper tier patron level, and that means a few things. Number one, it means Tom and I are indoctrinated today. Uh, It also means that they get to pick a topic once every month to tell Tom and I what to talk about here on the show. They get to make all the decisions. They get to control everything. They are controlling our minds. They have assumed direct control and they have picked the topic for today's episode, which is Garrus. Just Garrus. (laughs) The Reapers demand Garrus. We have have dillied long enough. We have dallied long enough. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs) Also, we get more of these sound effects. Yes, we get more Reaper. More sound Reaper effects. Effects. So these episodes will be called Indoctrinated Week as we try to adhere to the whispers in our head telling us what episode to do next. So, Sam, tell us more about what the whispers are telling you in your mind. Listen to yourself. You're indoctrinated. <laughs> well, we are talking about the samurai chicken, the raptor boyfriend himself, like I just said, Garrus Vicarian. Uh, we planned on covering Garrus at some point, obviously, but something just told me, let's expedite this and yeah. do it immediately. Um, more specifically, we're going we're gonna to talk about Garrus from before the games. So just as we were doing with Miranda, we're going to be talking about what we know about Garrus, you know, before the games as much as we can, and then leading up to the games. Yeah, so this, kind of like Miranda, we're going to have, I mean, this is going to be light on the game content, but more on other media like comics and stuff, right? That's right. The earliest glimpse that we get at Garrus's life is during his adolescence. The comic Mass Effect Homeworlds has a couple pages from a flashback with Garrus and his dad. His dad is teaching him how to shoot a sniper rifle in this scene. And it's kind of a forced march. It's it's much to Garrus's chagrin. And uh, if you're watching the live stream right now, then we're going to have a visual aid, a uh, little screenshot from the comic up here. Yeah, it's up, uh, it's so up right here. Yep. See what we're talking about. Basically, Garrus is like, oh, come on, Dad. You know, why are we doing this? I'm not going to get any better at this. And Garrus's dad says, then this is exactly when you try harder. This is when you pull yourself together and you do it. Because if you stop now, if you give up on something when it gets hard, you're never going to make it anywhere in life. That was my Garrus's dad impression. That was good. That was good. That's, Um, uh, I mean, I feel like every dad goes through a moment like this with their kid. And it's one of those things that like, I mean, you got to be tough on your kid, but you don't want to be so tough. You just break them. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to balance like this comic is a reflection on how Garrus remembers this, I think. Mm. So mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't that harsh. But at the same time, I think Mass Effect has a pretty steady uh, track record of giving us reliable narration. Yeah, that there yeah. isn't a whole lot of unreliable narration in Mass Effect. So so I don't think we should doubt it that much. But that means 
is this too much pressure to put on a kid to tell them if you give up when something gets hard, you're never going to make it anywhere in life. And they're talking about like, like shooting range practice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's another panel here and it says, I'm not doing this to punish you. My job as your father isn't to make your life easier. It's to teach you how to be an adult. Right. And Tom, as a dad, is that fair? To tell a kid? Uh, yes. So my philosophy, I'm not going to, this could be a huge side tangent, but my philosophy as a father, having had two kids, one that's 22, one that's 12, is that I treat my children with respect because they are just smaller humans who have less life experience. That's really the main difference. And so when you do things to explain the why is extremely helpful in helping them understand the context and what's going on. Otherwise, it just feels like, oh, my dad's being really mean to me because that's the initial feeling there. But to say, hey, this is important. This is why it's important. And by the way, you may not realize this, but my job is to get you ready to be an adult. <laughs> right. I think that's totally legit. Now, how you deliver that and the kindness and, and the way you you deliver that through through a loving format or a more, I don't know, damaging format is, you know, could make a big difference as well. Yeah. You know, I wonder if this is partly why Garrus feels the need to succeed, to get the suspect, to capture the bad guy at any cost, because his dad didn't seem to take a day off when it came to this kind of rhetoric. Uh, and his dad was very rigid. So it, it wasn't like, I think this is also a situation where it matters a lot more how you're saying something than mm -hmm. necessarily just what you're saying. And Garrus's dad was being a little bit of a hard ass. Right. Um, yeah. It comes across very dry. Also, they're learning to shoot a gun. Yes. Like th this isn't like, hey, you know, you really should finish your homework and try a little bit extra hard at math. This is being able to shoot a sniper rifle will define you as an adult. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. a little more dire. <laughs> it's a little bit more dire. And I think we're led to believe that this is before Garrus does the mandatory um, military service that is required of all Turians, which yeah. would be at age 15. So we're led to believe that this is before Garrus is 15 years old. Um, okay. That's a little intense. Yeah. You know, on one hand, I feel like, yes, I agree with you, Tom, that this is justified and that, that Garrus's dad is being a good dad mm -hmm. in this sense. But in the other, in the, on the other side, I feel like this is going to breed a resentful child. Yeah. It seems like this is the kind of thing that you pick and choose the time and place that you push this hard. And if you do it with everything, then it, you're not really doing it with anything. Right. You just sound I, like a hard ass all the time. In my non-parent point of view for parenting. <laughs> so take this for what it's worth. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, anyone that's listening. I, I feel like if you're not, if you're always the person who's, you know, yelling from the back and pushing them to go further, you know, then... And if you're never the person who can be their their refuge in a storm, mm -hmm. then they're not going to listen to the first part. Right. Right. There, there needs to be trust. Also, there needs to be they need to feel that you are pushing them when it's when it's the right time. But you're also a place that you can come for comfort when you do fail, when you do try your hardest and you don't make it. You can still come in and get a hug and say, well, you know what? I saw I, I saw you try your hardest. You did good. We'll yeah. try it again later. Yeah. It'll get yeah, it'll get better. <laughs> I think that that's that's a very valuable lesson to tell anyone, really. You know, yeah. uh, Day says here in chat, as a former child, yes, as a former child, I can tell you that I would have loved to have heard much more praise about my efforts right. than my capabilities. Right, right. I, you know? I saw you really try on that. And even though you didn't make it, you succeeded because you tried. Yeah. Like, you know what? You yeah. busted your ass and I'm proud of that. Right, right. And. So, yeah, that's that's important. And I don't think maybe Garris didn't get enough of that from his dad. Maybe his dad wasn't too good on the validation. Um, but I do know that Garris uh, Garris looked up to his dad. Mm -hmm. And so this has a very large fundamental shaping of who Garris becomes when Garris 
is older and the life that Garrus chooses for himself. We get another glimpse from Garrus's adolescence later in that same comic, but it's with his mom. His mom is in the hospital and apparently injured from a hit and run uh, accident. Mm-hmm. Or although I don't know if you can call it an accident if it was a hit and run. Yeah, I'm um, pulling it up here on the screen for everybody to see. Yeah, so I guess hover cars are still hitting pedestrians since they said hit and run. I, I wouldn't guess that they are referring to someone like a hit being an assassination attempt. Yeah, hit and run um, typically means vehicle. Yeah, so I'm guessing hover cars are still hitting pedestrians, even on Palavin. Garrus runs to his mom, who is surprised to see him there because he was supposed to be on this shuttle for a study abroad trip. So as you can see in the panel, it says, you know, Garrus, you know, is hugging his mom in the hospital bed and says what happened. And uh, she says it was a hit and run. They said, I don't remember. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And then she says, but what are you doing here? And references the study abroad trip. Should have left hours ago. He says, I didn't go. I heard you were here and I left. I left the port. It doesn't matter. It was just a dumb trip anyway. I can take care of you now. We both know that dad won't leave work to be here. This is uh, even more evidence of the father being kind of a hard ass. Being the hard ass who's out trying to save the world and doesn't give a shit about his family like that archetype. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I I mean, maybe he cares, but it's not as big a priority as something else, which says a lot. Yeah, I think it does. Um, And I've seen this happen in real life with like friends, parents, you know, Mm -hmm. like specifically with their dad, uh, who cared so much about the cause of what he was doing with work that he just neglected his family. And this, I mean, that, that speaks volumes that Garris would say, would say, we both know dad won't leave work to be here, but his mom quickly rebuts it and says, you know, that's not fair because he called as soon as he heard that I was hurt. And Uh, You know, he wanted to come, but I told him not to because by the time that he arrived here from the Citadel, my injuries would be healed. So I told him not to leave work. Mm -hmm. Okay, be that as it may, if he listened, you know what I mean? If he listened and he still didn't come, he's like, oh, well, you know, she'll be healed by the time I get back there. So I might as well stay. You know, that still says a lot about his priorities. Right. Right. Yeah. There's there's a certain cold quality to that. There is. Yeah, it's a certain cold quality. It doesn't it's it's weird because it it doesn't speak to what he was saying about, you know, never giving up and his morality when it comes to that. But it does speak to how he values his family. Um, And maybe in Turian society, that's not all that uncommon. Maybe that's the masculine, the standard masculine point of view. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not yeah, sorry. We don't have, yeah, we uh, don't have uh, many other examples of what this would be like. So, um, so, but we do, we are getting one example here, you know, and the whole thing spawns a larger conversation between Garrus and his mom about sacrificing dreams for the family. And Garrus says that he has sacrificed his dreams for the family. And it also spawns a larger conversation about the weight of his father's shadow on Garrus. Mm-hmm. Garrus's mom says to him, your scholarship was for this summer only. If you don't go, you lose it. By the way, this all feels very human. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't go, you lose it. You won't qualify again. This was your dream. I won't let you waste it. Get back out there. And and then he interrupts, saying that it's too late. And if he left her here, he would never forgive himself. And then he has this quote to say, which like cuts me really deep when I see it. Dad was right. He always said he'd support me in whatever I wanted to do, but he meant as long as it's what he wanted me to do. Oof. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things you have to watch yourself do as a parent is sometimes the, the pressure you put on your children subconsciously are things that you care about more and you haven't really figured out that you need to weigh in what they care about. And Mm. Because it, it's it's this habit you get in. You go, well, I'm the parent. I know best. I'm the parent. I know best. I'm the parent. I know best. But there comes a point in your child's life, especially as they reach their like adolescent and teenage years, where there's only so much more of the coaxing that you can do in order to get them to do something 
they're going to start making their own decisions and they're going to start figuring out what things they care about the most. And if you ignore that, they just push back against it. You have to validate, okay, I know you care about this and then give them the ability to the freedom to make some of those choices. That's part of the even transition. if some of those may be their own mistakes. Yeah, right? sometimes even if it's their own mistakes and, and that's the transition. And so that's where you see a lot of children and having been a former child myself and everybody else here <laughs> having been a former child. I mean, think about think about your teenage years. At what point did your parents start trying to push you in a direction and then you started pushing back? It's just natural. It's, it's part of becoming your own person. Um, the problem is that if the parents push too hard in a direction, the kids will push back by habit, not because they really want the other thing, but because they want the freedom to want whatever they want. And so it actually pushes them into an opposite thing, even if that's not the thing they really wanted. So there's complexity there. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, I feel like I understood that, but not because of my dad. Um, when when he when Gareth says, you know, he said he always said that he'd support me in whatever I wanted to do, but he meant as long as it's what he wanted me to do mm-hmm. as kind of like a fourth wall breaking thing. And I don't know if any of our listeners can relate to this, but I related to this on a level with my brother because my my older brother is 10 years older than me is one of the people who raised me. But I noticed and and we grew up as like best friends, you know, like like very close. He taught me how to ride a bike. He taught me how to throw a football. But there was a certain point, I think, you know, around middle school, high school, when I really started developing my own personality, you Mm -hmm. know, and I started liking my own music and, and having my own friends who were different from him. And the music was different from what he liked. Right. And my interests were different from what he liked. And then that's when I noticed he wasn't as close with me anymore. Yeah. And and I'm just, you know, as I'm approaching 30, I'm finally becoming I'm finally coming to this realization that I don't I think he stopped supporting me because I wasn't pursuing what he wanted me to do anymore. Yeah. Because when I was like 12, <laughs> I wanted to be just like him. Right. Right. But then when I stopped wanting to be just like him, that's when we grew apart. And so that that's a hard realization for me to come to. But I think that's something that Garrus was also coming to at this point where Garrus must have been about, you know, if Turian society is like human society, maybe he's about 17 or 18 talking about going away to college on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's about the age that he was. And so I don't think he's being a typical rebellious teenager. I think he also hasn't, he probably hasn't had much time to spend with his dad at all. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother dilemma, especially for young males who didn't get time with their male parental figure. There's there, there, that's a whole nother can of things is not having enough time with either parents has a significant effect on your development as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I felt exactly how Garrus, you know, described it. Uh, And I think that there's a certain level of anger that Garrus holds toward his dad, especially when he says that, you know, you can you can hear the anger and um, the hurt that the pain in Garrus, because people who don't care don't say that. Um, So but but it's very clear that Garrus, I think, feels imprisoned by the overwhelming personality and reputation that his father has as being this very successful CSEC officer. Yeah. It's particularly heartbreaking because in the, in the very next panel in the comic, Garrus tells his own mom and it's kind of, it's vague whether or not he's telling his own mom or whether it's a, a monologuing and a reflection inside of his own head, because in the middle of this line, it jumps forward like 20 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And it says, it's Gara saying, it's time I faced the facts. I'm an officer's son. That's all I'll ever be. Like I'm in the shadow of my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I'll ever be. And when it says, that's all I'll ever be, it's like the next scene is him then in the firing range in CSEC where Mm -hmm. his dad works. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's kind of heartbreaking to see that, that jump in the comic because it's like, damn, he was really... I don't think Garrus felt like he was ever allowed to truly be himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's always trying to live up to something else rather than define himself on his own terms. 
Yeah. So maybe that's why he decides to join CSEC, because he doesn't just want to fight injustice, but because he feels like he has to. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. He's in the shadow of his father and he's there's part part of his mind that's probably going, I have to try to live up to this great man that he sees. I mean, every every kid thinks their dad's Superman until all of a sudden life happens and they realize, oh, they're imperfect, too. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But then there's the other side of like, well, what else am I going to do? This is what is expected of me. So I guess this is who I am, even if I don't feel like I can succeed at it. This is I guess this is who I am. Maybe there's one of our listeners, you know, right now who their dad was a cop and they felt compelled to become a cop, too. Yeah. Uh, Or, you know, your dad was in the military and you felt like you had to join the military as well. Um, I feel like maybe this is why in my headcanon, Garrus and Ashley get along so well. Because okay. if you think about Ashley's background yeah. with her, her family having a long military background, she didn't get to see her dad a lot. He was, you know, a hero, but then his name was disgraced because of something that was out of his control, his father, his father's choice. And and so I think if if the same thing had happened to Garrus's dad, that someone in the family line had had made a decision and then that was socially reprimanded and Garrus's family name was trashed. Maybe Garrus would hate aliens as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all of that stuff. Developmental stuff has a big impact on who we become. And so there are similarities there between the both of them. Yeah. So I I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like Garrus and Ashley hold some uh, similar qualities in that regard. Um, But, you know, his dad, like I said, is is looked up to. His dad is described a few times throughout the series as being by the book, uh, which is Mm -hmm. so different from how Garrus sees things. We have a clip here from Mass Effect 1. Uh, where Garrus talks about kind of the way that he he views morality and justice. And it's not by the book, I'll tell you that. Thanks for bringing me on board, Commander. I knew working with a Spectre would be better than life at CSEC. Have you worked with a Spectre before? Well, no, but I know what they're like. Spectres make their own rules. You're free to handle things your way. At CSEC, you're buried by rules. The damn bureaucrats are always on your back. Being a Spectre does have its advantages. Exactly my point. If I'm trying to take down a suspect, it shouldn't matter how I do it, as long as I do it. But CSEC wants it done their way. Protocol and procedure come first. That's why I left. So you just quit because you didn't like the way they do things? There's more to it than that. It didn't start out bad, but as I rose in ranks, I got saddled with more and more red tape. CSEC's handling of Saren was typical. I just couldn't take it anymore. I hate leaving. You did I hate leaving. That's how that ends. I hate leaving, right? Why did he throw that in there? Um, I wonder, the way that Garrus talks about it, I wonder if he talks to people like his father, who would be very, you know, if he's by the book, then he says, you know, you stick to the rules. You do things this way. And I wonder if Garrus would would reply and say something like, Listen to yourself. You're indoctrinated. (laughs) Call back. Um, Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, this was soundbite was taken from Mass Effect one. And I know that we were talking about Garrus before the games, so it's not before the games per se, but it's right at the beginning of Mass Effect one. And it gives us a good idea of what Garrus thinking was before he joins the Normandy and before Shepard can influence that in any way. So I think that this is, uh, the best unaltered, Lens we may get into Garrus's mind uh, during the entirety of the three games uh, from before we can affect it because the player, of course, can affect it. Paragon yeah. or Renegade. Yeah, this is pre-game character arc, Garrus. Yes, this is who he is after all the events from these comics, and yet it impacts who he becomes in Mass Effect Two as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, we're in the middle of the show. Time to take a, a break and thank our patrons, including our extra special new Reaper tier patron. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back because we got a lot more Garrus pre games to talk about. All right. So everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. 
Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect to learn more. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this Lorecast is mine. I like the sound of that. Did you hear that? Was that? I did. Yeah, I heard that. Was that I think my voice? This lork, uh, I think we're becoming indoctrinated is what's happening. Oh, no, that's weird. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons. It's been a few weeks. Thank you for your patience and giving us a week off. Uh, I had a, an event in Las Vegas to go to for Elder Scrolls Online, and it was a lot of fun. So thank you for your patience. And we're happy to be back. And this week is our special episode because of our new patron Max T. He's a Reaper tier patron. And thank you so much, Max. Also, welcome to Madison R joining the Patreon. This brings us up to 70 current patrons. And we have to shout out Max T, our Reaper, and our Shepherd tier patrons, Kolkashins, Ed Boy, Kira C, Lieutenant Ticino, that Spectre guy, and William. Thank you so much to all of you and for supporting the show. If you are interested in checking out all the different things you can get from our Patreon, patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast is the place to go. And there's all sorts of stuff on there. You guys have heard me list all this stuff out before. Um, but thank you for the support, genuinely. Also, we have a new review that came in uh, over the this last two weeks. This is from Skaven98, who... And I wrote, think this could actually be our Reaper tier patron. Oh, is it? Uh, is this? The, I, think, I think it may be, because hmm. he signs off with Trip, which is... Of course, what he goes by in the Discord. Okay, so yeah, multiple names. Everybody has multiple names in different places. So this might be them. Uh, They write, uh, the best podcast slash vid station in the Milky Way. I've only been watching this for a week and mostly on YouTube, but I might be transferring here. I've been playing Mass Effect since the release of Mass Effect 2 when I was... 10 almost 13 years ago i love this game series and community for the fact it is the most unified fan base of any game in my opinion but about the pod cast i've been bouncing through several the last year and i started my new job this last week and found y'all they use the y'all which is fun because i don't it's not part of my vernacular so i have to like say it um, y'all at the same time and have uh, been listening since once i get paid i'll buy into the patreon for y'all i appreciate for your informed uh informs how informed you guys are sorry i'm messing this up and how entertaining and enthusiastic you guys are i appreciate the hard work y'all do the morden cast are my favorite so far especially the john ebinger and never knew about that renegade scene with him enjoy the day y'all p.s I was listening to Morton's invo- involvement in the Genophage number 104 when you guys are by you guys as I wrote this. Thanks, Trip. So there you go. I, I messed that all up. But thank you so much, uh, Scavid98 or Trip or our newest patron. Awesome stuff. Um, so if you are interested in getting your words read out, then then all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with some words, and we'll read it out in the future. Plus, if you listen on Spotify, you can always rate us on there, and you'll notice the most recent episodes all have questions like, what do you think about this episode? So if you leave some kind comments on each of the episodes, that would be amazing as well. Lots of different ways you can help support us, and we appreciate all the help because we couldn't do this if it wasn't for you. So thank you so very much. Um, anything else we got to shout out before we move on? No, I, I think that's pretty much it. But, you know, thank you again to our new Reaper tier patron. And uh, yeah, let's get back to indoctrinated week. <laughs> Here we go. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. So before the break, Sam, you were saying in Mass Effect 1 that that beginning part gave us a good exposition for Garrus 
and his mindset before we really get to know him, before he develops in the games. Yeah, and you know, we get a good idea that Garrus has thought this way for a little while before Shepard even comes to the Citadel. Um, that he thinks the rules are, you know, meant to be bent, at least, if not broken. And uh, Garrus, in, in, in the light of basically trying to prove to Shepard that sometimes the rules get in the way, Garrus references this other investigation and conversation which must have happened sometime before Mass Effect 1. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but here we have another clip of when he's talking about it. I remember this Solarian geneticist I was sent to investigate. That case was a bit disturbing. What happened? Why were you investigating them? I was tasked with tracking black market trade on the Citadel. Most of it harmless, nothing I needed to pursue. But during the course of my investigation, I noticed an increase in the trade of body parts. Organs, mostly. We usually get a few of those, but not the numbers I was seeing. We weren't sure if there was a new black market lab or if some freak was harvesting organs from citizens. You've seen this before on the Citadel? Every so often, some lab sells unwanted parts through the black market. But they're not as bad as the psychos. I remember this one Elcor diplomat we caught in my first year on the job. He was hacking people up and selling their organs. Had the station in a bit of a panic. But this case wasn't that clear-cut. Turns out, there was more going on than we first realized. So how did you figure out what was happening? First, we got a hold of a sample and ran DNA tests. The weird thing was, the match led us to a Turian who was still alive and was very convinced he'd never lost his liver. After a bit of digging, I discovered this Turian worked briefly for Dr. Salion, the geneticist. So I went to his lab, hoping to find evidence of cloned organ development. But there was nothing. No Salarian hearts, no Turian livers, not one Krogan testicle. <laughs> not one Krogan testicle. You know, not as, one a, of them. as a side note here, re-watching this scene from the beginning of Mass Effect 1, and you have the beak-faced sort of sort of beak-faced, <laughs> but the way that the, even how old this game is, the way and I know they updated some of the stuff for Legendary Edition, but I'm sure a lot of the animations were left as they were. They still managed to make his mouth move in ways that convince me that those words are coming out of his mouth. It's just right. one of those little details that every so often you'll notice something again. You'll be like, man, they. Look at what they were doing way back then. That's great. Yeah, they had the nice like, you know, Halo suffered a little bit of it when they tried to animate the Covenant's mouth. And I know that they had to spend a lot of money doing that. Mm -hmm. And I also know that Bioware didn't have as much money <laughs> when yeah. they were trying to animate these things. Yeah. So especially that first it is game. kind of amazing. Yeah. 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 And in the top, the top of his lips even move they open like. In, in yeah. certain ways that make it look like he's actually talking. They have a similar like four point structure with their mouth, you know, similar, yeah. uh, not the same, but similar. It's like I kind of expected Garrus to be like, I'm the arbiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it actually works. So anyway, that, I know that's a side note. But anyway, he's talking about testicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, four is 40,000, by the way, 40,000 for a full set. Mm -hmm. That's what he goes on to say after that. But, you know, this gives us a clearer picture of what kinds of cases Garrus is investigating, first of all. And it also seems to it wasn't limited to corruption like in Saren's case. Of course, that's when we run into Garrus. He's investigating Saren because of what uh, Shepard brought to Udina, Udina brought to the council. But his investigations also include more mundane things like homicide. <laughs> mundane, <laughs> and, homicide, and, mundane. And violent crime. Right. Um, so given what we've learned about Garrus, that he doesn't feel that rules and regulations always apply to him. Sometimes he thinks they get in the way. How do you think his investigation into the Solarian geneticist went? I mean, how do you think it went? He kept coming up. He kept coming up empty. He wasn't finding anything when he got these leads. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling he took things into his own hands. I have a similar feeling, but why don't we hear it from the uh, samurai chicken himself? do about the geneticist. I brought in some of his employees for interrogation to see if I could get them to talk. While I was interviewing one of them, I came across something suspicious. Good thinking. Lackeys are always easier to scare. Exactly. Though in this case it paid off in a different way. One of my detainees started bleeding profusely during the interview. 
We offered to patch him up and he got frantic, freaked out. I ordered a full exam to find out what was going on. Our medics found incisions all over his body, some of them fresh. That was our big break. These people weren't just Dr. Saleon's employees, they were test tubes, walking, living test tubes. So he was growing spare parts in his own employees? Exactly. He cloned their organs right inside their own bodies, then he harvested them and sold them off. Most of the victims were poor. He'd pay them each a small percentage of the sales, but only if the organs were good. Sometimes an organ wouldn't grow properly, so he'd just leave it in them. Most of them were a mess, but only on the inside, hidden, so nobody could see it. I hope he got what he deserved. That's the worst part. We never caught him. Why not? What the hell happened? He ran, blew his lab, grabbed some of his employees, and headed for the nearest space dock. By the time I found out, his ship was already leaving. He threatened to kill his hostages if we tried to stop him. But you went after him anyway, right? I ordered Citadel Defense to shoot him down, but CSEC headquarters countermanded my order. They were worried about the hostages, worried about civilian casualties if the ship was destroyed so close to the Citadel. I told them those hostages were dead anyway. He just used them to make more organs. But they wouldn't listen. No wonder you hated it there. Those idiots just let him fly away. Yes, they did. I went to Palin and told him what I thought of him and his policies. He said if I didn't like it, I could quit. Well, I almost did. All they had to do was disable that ship, stop him from running. Maybe the hostages die, maybe they don't, but at least we stopped the bastard responsible for it all. So, uh... Another side note here. Now they're talking about like growing organs inside people. I saw on Reddit, I think it was like yesterday, that there's a uh, a man from China who is had something wrong with his nose. Like he his nose was damaged and injured, and so he's growing another nose on his forehead. <laughs> it's like grafted to his forehead, and they're gonna take it off and then put it where it's supposed to go. It looks crazy, but uh, in this example, they're growing organs inside their body, so you can't see them. But wow, we're already doing stuff like using that. using your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like that, that we've talked about, like some of the science and some of the medical stuff on previous previous episodes. And this is a direct connection to some of that stuff. But we're already doing yes. similar kinds of things. And the it's idea the that in- somebody could be harvesting the people that work for them to use them as a place to grow organs like Oh, it's an intersection of crime and medicine. Um, so I would love to see Garrus on an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you mean? We don't, I mean, we joked about this before. Somebody needs to do like a web series of like Law and Order Mass Effect edition or something. Well, there is a live action. Well, not live action, but like like a t- tabletop. Uh, podcast that's you know the mm-hmm. Mass Effect Blue Shift. Mass, yeah, and, uh, yeah, same kind of thing, I guess. Like if you think law about and it. order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, you know, I because of my job, I end up looking through a lot of court documents that include detectives' notes about investigations into a lot of grisly things. And I actually <laughs> offered to them, I was like, you know, I could consult for you guys and let you know how these investigations, like what are some of the things that they find. And mm-hmm. yeah, it could be fun wow. um, because I think, you know, Law and Order, wasn't that written by a journalist? I don't know. I mean, it's been there's so many variations or, on or it over maybe the a years. former detective. Maybe. I thought I thought most of the episodes were created or written by someone with inside knowledge, uh, but I might be wrong. No, that could, that could be a thing. I don't know. I'm sure somebody um, out there knows somebody on the Internet listening to this knows the answer to that. So, yeah, let us know. So, um, back to it. So. Yeah, anyway, back to Garrus, uh, who would totally be the iced tea of the Normandy. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. You can track down Dr. Salion, that geneticist he's talking about, and you can bring Garrus along. But ultimately, it is up to Shep how things play out, whether Shep advocates for Garrus letting go of the anger and letting justice be carried out without emotion, or Shep can let Garrus fulfill his, you know, revenge fantasy, which something tells me has more to do with Garrus's unresolved issues than it does with Dr. Salion, no matter how much messed up Dr. Salion was. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're beginning to see the, uh, the origins of his need to do that. Yeah. I don't, 
I like Dr. Salion's messed up, but letting Garrus blow his brains out all over the back of a thing, like summarily execute him. Mm-hmm. That says way more about Garrus. And so yeah. I I've done both. I've done I've done the Paragon route, I've done the Renegade route, and you really do see Garrus change a little bit. Um given you know how you handle those things and in in continuing into mass effect 2 and i don't like the person that garris becomes under the renegade guidance to be honest uh well it's so it kind of breaks the whole batman thing a little bit the whole batman doesn't kill people brings them to justice like and that's why a lot of people will actually say no no garris is not space batman he's space punisher (laughs) right yeah yeah, <laughs> which I can see that actually a little bit more because Garrus is not a little rich kid. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of gadgets yeah, and true. also doesn't have a cool butler. Um, true, true. Which would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, Imagine but, if you get a companion that brings their butler with them onto the Normandy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the Eclipse companion since they're all you know very so wealthy. Weird. You know. Yeah, that'd be so weird. <laughs> uh, so Garrus says that. CSEC headquarters countermands his order to shoot down the ship. Who could that have been in CSEC headquarters? Who mm-hmm. do we know that has a high ranking position and is well respected and probably keeping tabs on Garrus's investigations that may have countermanded, countermanded his order to break the law and shoot down a ship, summarily executing <laughs> the person on board? Right. Dad, just leave me alone. Gosh. Gosh, yeah, Dad. Maybe it's his dad. Yeah. Uh, we also know that his dad had an authority over investigations that Garrus was leading. That's totally not a conflict of interest at all. Oh, God. Yeah. No, that would be terrible. But at least his dad has integrity when it comes to, like, workplace ethics. Because if right. anything, his dad was scrutinizing the ethics of his investigations too hard. He wasn't letting him slip by. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Garrus his dad and his job, here's what Garrus tells us in Mass Effect 1. Probably the same as most officers. I wanted to fight injustice, wanted to help people. I guess my father had something to do with it too. He was CSEC, one of the best. I grew up hearing about his accomplishments or seeing his picture on the vids after a big arrest. He's taking my resignation pretty hard. He's not impressed that you're going after Saren? My father's a CSEC man to the bone. Do things right or don't do them at all, he says. He thinks I'm being too rash, too impatient. He's worried I'll become just like Saren. He actually talked me out of becoming a Spectre when I was younger, for the same reasons. You were asked to be a Spectre? Well, I was targeted as a possible Spectre candidate, me and about a thousand other Turian military recruits. I could have received special training, but my father didn't like it. He despises the Spectres. He hates the idea of someone having unlimited power with no accountability. He wouldn't like you, Commander. No offense. A thousand. That they cast a wide net. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, as much as we were ragging on Garrus's dad earlier, I understand why he doesn't like the Spectres. Um, yeah. Yeah. A branch well, of clandestine the operatives law. who are above the law and yeah. have no accountability. No thanks. You know. Yeah. Like, I, no. He's. I don't. He is. He is lawful. Good. Like yes. to the T, right? Even if it gets in the way of doing good, I will I will stick to the law, right? The lawful good paladin who can't be there for his family. Right. And a specter by definition is lawful is is neutral good. Is just you would hope. They would hope. And their, their intentions should be good, right? That's why you, yes. you would have them. And they are neutral. They can they can do what they want. They don't have to follow the law. They can be chaotic if they need to, as long as they accomplish the the good thing they're supposed to set out to do, right? Assuming the irony that is that like I don't think that that they would be neutral good. I I would think because they're good, that would be the motivation behind all their decisions, right? Right. The good or or, or evil. But I don't think that the motivation behind all their decisions should be uh, like isn't necessarily in the job description as you have to be good. It's you have to all of your decisions have to maintain galactic order. Yeah. Oh, so it's almost like it's but they like don't a have to do that through thing. doing through operating within the law. Right. Right. Hmm. We'll have to we'll dig into this more in the future. Okay, so let's get back to Garrus. <laughs> right. So for Garrus, 
I, I think this is important because Garrus said that his father would tell him, do things right or don't do them at all. While this is referencing a very specific instance in the lore that many people may not know about, and you guessed it, it's from the comics. More specifically, it's a reference to an investigation where Garrus and his father butt heads while both of them worked at CSEC. Garrus is at the firing range. You remember, like I told you, he's at CSEC Academy, he's at the firing range. When his fellow detective tells him, hey, did you hear? Our suspect just walked loose. You know, he's, he's out of here. And Garrus asks, what? What happened? By who? And it turns out his father made the order. And I was like, hold on, why would his father cut a suspect loose? And I, of course, that's what the reader is supposed to think. And then you turn the page and you read and it turns out Garrus confronts his father and he's angry because he's thinking just like the reader. Do you know how long I've been building this case case against Kishpaw? That's the suspect's name, Kishpaw. Oh, Kishpaw. And then his father snaps and well it doesn't snap quite yet he he just matter of fact says evidence tampering witness coercion assault you call that making a case which is i love this part because it's you know it's the very stereotypical you're a liability to the department <laughs> right 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 <laughs> give me your badge yeah um in other words garris was under scrutiny because his methods were wrong and illegal and it seems Garris was under more scrutiny than the average CSEC officer. Right. So his dad, who is pretty high in the in the department, is keeping tabs on Garris's investigations and finds he was breaking a number of laws in this case he was building against Kishpaw. And then Garris's dad turns to Garris and says, I expect that from these rookies who call themselves CSEC officers nowadays, not from you. This new generation sucks. They're, they're all terrible. They're lazy. They don't work hard. Whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Every generation does that. But yeah, it was his. But that's his job. His job is to is to. Now, he probably focuses too much on Garris, but his job is to review the cases and go, OK, this is not going to stand up in court because he used illegal means of getting this stuff done so we have to cut this one you did right. it wrong we gotta cut it it just makes sense and yeah breaking the fourth wall like you said that's what happens that's what happens when when detectives and police don't follow the rules in terms of how they get information from sources right. evidence can be thrown out of court that way the and, judge then, and then the next it. thing that you know yeah it's a mistrial right and so why waste person, everyone's time like that's that's his his job is like okay well this isn't going to stand trial anyway so we have to cut it right yeah because if you send him to trial with faulty evidence or it looks like the police department broke the law in pursuing him he's untouchable now he can never be tried for that crime again yeah it's so it's not good it also makes the department look bad publicly very bad yeah, yeah. there have some of the worst pr cases for any police department have been because of reasons like this so from a professional point of view, I understand why Garris's dad did it, but I think mm -hmm. it was more than just professional in nature it's of both. why he did this. Yeah. It was personal right. that he couldn't believe his own son was doing this. Right. So they get into this argument that they, that can be summed up with Garris shouting at his dad, look, old man, you know, you don't know what it's like out there anymore. It's brutal. <laughs> you know, right. like right. you just sit on your ass all day and what do you want? You'd rather I spend time doing paperwork. And it's kind of like the stereotypical argument between, uh, I guess, inferior and superior in law enforcement settings. And then Garris, Garris's dad actually snaps and his dad says, so if you don't like the rules, you just break them. Is that it? Now, does that line sound similar to what Shepard just said to Garris with? So if you don't like things, you just quit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that that can be a paragon way to approach Garrus about things. But this is what Garrus's dad tells Garrus. If you don't like the rules, you just break them. Is that it? And his dad like lays into him, telling him this is why the rule of law is important, especially for law enforcement officers. And he expresses that, you know, given the millions of people, the millions of lives on this station, the Citadel, how much responsibility rides on CSEC officers shoulders. So... I understand where he's coming from. I understand why he's laying into him. But uh, Garrus is like still rebellious because he still, I think, is fighting this this um, anger against his dad who was never there but didn't allow him to be himself. Uh, 
and you know he says Garrus's dad says to Garrus, it's not meant to be easy, but if you're filling out paperwork, but if filling out paperwork is too much for you, maybe you're not cut out for it. Do things right, Garrus, or don't do them at all. Yeah, this is interesting because he's pushing it back against his dad. And because he's pushing back against his dad, he's not willing to see the thing that his dad's teaching him. But in the instance, like you drew the connection to Shepard, Shepard kind of giving the same guidance He's more open to that from Shepard because Shepard isn't his dad. And so that's what enables the character arc that we see through the games where it wouldn't have happened in this situation working at CSEC. Exactly. But you can also agree with Garrus and be like, yeah, rules get in the way and you can sure. be renegade. Sure, sure. But and you can be a bad influence on right, it. Right. You could be a bad influence, but the, it, it allows for the good influence, should you choose it, to be something that, that plays out. You, you would have to wonder in the CSEC situation if he wasn't reporting to his father or at least his father wasn't overseeing some of what was going on. Would he have been more open to this critique from somebody else? Maybe. I think, yeah, maybe. And it's also, I think... Shepard is not uh, reprimanding Garrus while telling him this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can get pretty stern as being a paragon with Garrus in Mass Effect 1. And I remember first time I played Mass Effect 1, I wanted to be paragon. But I also liked Garrus. And then like I mm. told him off like that and I got a little bit sad. I was like, no, don't be mean to Garrus. <laughs> oh, no. He's my friend. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he's my friend. Don't we, You didn't need to be that mean to him. But Shepard was right, you know? Um this is the exact splitting point, by the way, that leads Garrus to not talk with his father for a long time. And, and Garrus's father's name, by the way, is Castus. His name is Castus Vicarian. It's very I'd Latin. like to think that they, can, they named him Castus because he's casting judgment all the time. Yeah, maybe. Um, and the reason we know his name is Castus is, and I was withholding it because of this, but the reason we know his name's Castus is because of Mass Effect Andromeda. We don't learn his name until much later. Huh. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm looking up just, the, uh, the definition. It actually means, uh, chaste, virtuous, or pious. Well, that totally checks out. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was question for you for discussion and for anyone that's listening to ponder was garris's dad or garris in the right here about about kishpaw about using mm. those tactics to try to get to get the suspect or was garris's dad right in terms of cutting the suspect loose and saying no yeah you know what i mean yeah. well, in the future you're going to do it right right well uh, you know I mean, obviously he's doing it for two different reasons, but even if you just look at the the department trying to be by the book because they need to, he had to. There wasn't really an option there. Now, did he have to lay into his son in a, you know, in the way that he did? Does that bring up a whole history between them? And does that actually resonate with Garrus? Does he actually learn anything in that situation? That's another question. I think it comes down to the two different ways to, to view the world in terms of when you get to a to a destination do the methods matter or do the ends justify the means right and right. uh garris is very much the latter yeah where he thinks well if i get this piece of crap off the streets why does it matter how i did it right right because yeah it's we, we could go into the morality of this a lot but the uh the short-term justification for things is usually the thing that the villain does yeah. And the long term uh, actually is, is usually the wiser thing, because y- you might be successful in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to cause more problems than it actually solves. This is exactly why Garrus's dad said he was worried about Garrus when he resigned from the department and he was worried that he would become like Saren. Right. Because Saren right. has the ends justify the means. Right. He doesn't care how he treats people. Right. It's as all as, as part of a goal. Yeah. And as, and as soon as your ends change, all of a sudden, all of that goes out the window. You're doing yep. bad things using bad methods and it's just all bad. So, yeah, pretty much. Um, if you can, if you can justify using any means necessary to achieve a goal, your goal is never going to be virtuous. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, so 
uh, do you have another question here or do you want to move on to the next thing? Uh, yeah, you know, I think that there's zero room for messing up uh, because of the pressure that Garrus's dad um, puts on him. You know, he was right. I think Garrus's dad was right. But how do you think those the way that he's handling this apparently in front of like an office full of people yeah. would make Garrus feel? Right. Yeah, it's it's just it's rough. <laughs> this is real rough for Garrus. It's embarrassing, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And I think it puts an insane pressure on him because he was already expected to live up to his father. Right. 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 And um, here he is failing publicly in front of everybody. And that's very publicly. And what do we are we already know about Turian culture that honor and family and name and cast and cast here it matters a lot. Yeah. And so to like fail in a law enforcement setting in public because you were doing things wrong, this would like deduce a lot of social credit score from Garrus here. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, this is like public death <laughs> to the, to the Turians. Right. And this is just like yeah. the worst thing that could possibly happen, at least emotionally, you know? Um, yeah. So, okay. So we understand Garrus's view of rules and laws. He's certainly on the chaotic side of the D and D alignment at this stage in, in what he's doing. Um, what about his morality? I think there's no doubt about it that Garrus is a good person. I think he cares about justice. He wants to do right by people. He cares about the truth more than he cares about, you know, law or breaking the law or anything like that. That's probably why he gets so upset when the, when the council tries this bullshit cover story, um, after the Citadel is attacked. And then so many people believe it mm -hmm. that it wasn't actually a reaper, that it was the geth. And yeah. that it was just, you know, uh, Sovereign was just this ultra advanced ship led by uh, a renegade specter. And he knows that that's not true. Right. Garrus knows that, right. you know, what truly happened. And he cynically remarks on this in one of the comics. He says, it's easier to pretend a tragedy never happened, that a problem never existed than to deal with it directly. Yeah. Just shut your eyes. It goes away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, you know, let me bury my head in the sand like an ostrich and all my problems. I can't la, see them. La, 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 cover your ears. Close your eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's sad because honestly, I see a lot of that in our society, especially over the past few years. Yeah, it's yeah. No, it's a very common human reaction to things, especially when things defy their own expectations or the belief in the world. And yeah, it. Yeah. And, and then it goes against the things that you use for your identity and it challenges your identity and who you believe you are in the world. All of that stuff becomes very difficult for people. And when people are dug in enough that they definitely do not want to accept the reality of a situation, good luck trying to be the one to tell them what the yeah. reality is, because they will they will not just shoot the messenger. They will fucking eviscerate the messenger. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's similar to the whole Mark Twain quote about it's easier to fool someone than to convince them they've been fooled. Yeah. Like ab that is absolutely 100% true. And that quote is 150 years old. So, yeah, yeah. it's Donald Trump's fucking mantra. But we go on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Oof. I have a Oof. real. I, 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 so as fourth wall breaking, I have covid right now. Um it's not fun. It hasn't been fun. I also have family members that still believe that it's a hoax. I won't go into that either, Gosh, yeah. but it's easier to fool people than it than is to convince, to convince them, them they've, they've been, fooled. been fooled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I wonder how Garrus would feel about COVID. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, it, it, actually, we do know how he feels about the plague on Omega, uh, but that, we'll have to get into that point a little bit later. But here's here's where my praise for Garrus stops. You remember Kishpaw, that that suspect who got cut loose mm -hmm. because of Garrus's sleazy tactics? Well, Garrus resigned from CSEC to go uh, with Shepard and track down Saren. After Saren was defeated, though, Garrus went back to the Citadel and he grew disgusted by this blissful ignorance about the Geth and about Sovereign and, and yada, yada, yada. So he goes to set out and write, quote unquote, write some wrongs and do what he couldn't do before. Get Kishpaw. Ah. So Garrus tracks him down. He chokes him and he tells him he is just as free to break the law as Kishpaw is. 
whoa, that's a little scary. So he better tell him where these drugs he's getting are coming from. And the intimidation works. And Garrus gets this lead that takes him to Omega. And and we're sharing a little panel from the comics on the screen right now where you can see Garrus is choking out Kishpaw and very clearly embracing this evil side of getting things done. Right, right. The vigilante kind of thing. Yeah. Which is part of why Um, people call him Batman, but... Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this lead that Kishpaw gives him takes him to Omega. Coincidentally, CSEC also threatens to arrest and jail Garrus if he doesn't stop with the vig- vigilante shit. So he takes off for Omega, where he becomes the ultimate vigilante. Batman. He becomes Batman or Space Punisher <laughs> or, Space you know, Punisher. insert vigilante name, whoever you'd like here. Yeah. Um, yeah. From the moment he steps into the docking terminal, he sees a Vorcha trying to rob an elderly woman at knife point. Uh-huh. It's the typical bad guy, like, give me all your money. I don't care. I'm going to take <laughs> pleasure in killing you. Man, you know? stick him up. <laughs> stick it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take pleasure in nothing. <laughs> right. And then Garrus just goes up and bonk, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'll take pleasure in killing you. And then <laughs> don't swear to Vorch, I swear to me. Here you go, ma'am. Um, Here's your stuff back. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> yeah, Archangel. Exactly. Yeah. And pretty much. Garrus promptly kicks the Vorch's ass and lets the woman and her husband go. And then she tells Garrus that he is a, quote, real life angel. And ah, hence, so we get the origin of the name Archangel. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, cool stuff. I mean, I think this is part of why people like him is because he's relatable. Like, who hasn't been in a situation where they were just like, "Screw the rules. I need to get the. I, I need to do the right thing. I need to get it done. It's going to be better." Like, sometimes you feel that way, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. The anti-hero is always an attractive character. Yes. And, you know, I but I also think and maybe this is just me getting older. No, sometimes not all the rules are right. You know, like, yeah, even for well-meaning people, sometimes they, they should be changed. But then you right. ad, just advocate for the rule to be changed. Right. Don't there are ways to it. Right, work within the system, at least until the system is absolutely broken. There are ways to work within the system to change things. Yeah, it's difficult. It's harder. It takes a lot longer to do, but you can't change a system by just burning it down. I mean, you can, but then you burn everything else down too. You throw the baby right. out with the bathwater. Well, I think you, you can't change a system and do good permanently by deciding that you're not going to be a part of any system. Right, right. Anarchy <laughs> only breeds anarchy. And then the strongest that survives then takes power afterwards. Like, it's not a good solution. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you think that like you should be allowed to be an anarchist but everyone else should have to play by the rules in which case you're just an asshole yeah yeah now you're just that's that's no different than like oh well these rich people well you're you're doing the same thing you believe that you're above everybody else in just in a different way because you have the moral authority to do it rather than lots of money like you're just using the same justification with different methods it's yeah so well, that was fun. Um, anything else before we wrap up the episode? Um, no, I, I that's fun. I think that's pretty much that's indoctrinated week. I was planning to get to Garrus at some point in the future throughout these character episodes. But of course, uh, next week is the patron chat, right? Yeah, so, coming up next week. And then after that, uh, we'll go back to uh, Miranda episodes and uh, next month we'll have to chat and see with uh, our reaper patron what they'd like to do and when they'd like to indoctrinate us again yeah yeah so max t our reaper patron thank you for this suggestion this was a really fun episode and if you decide to stay a reaper tier patron next month we'll do another another reaper indoctrination episode for whatever you decide to choose and uh, like you mentioned next week on the 28th at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific is our patron chat so if you are a tier four shepherd or a reaper tier patron you're welcome to join us on that chat so come come join us next week sam you got anything else going on this week um i do yeah like i said i have covid so i don't know how long i'll be able to stream but i'm going to be streaming more neutral shepherd 
uh, who I, I have not <laughs> been able to get Garrus to be neutral. So, um, <laughs> but huh, yeah, I am almost done with like Mass Effect three. It's getting a little insane. I'm about to do Rannick and neither. So Tally's not alive and I never woke up Legion. So I don't know how I'm going to handle the Geth Corian war conflict and and what's going to happen there. There's like a Geth VI who looks just like Legion, but Weird. says he's not like he doesn't go by Legion. What is your name? Not Legion. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, And it's cool. the same voice actor. And <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah. I don't know how the end is going to go. I don't know if I'll be able to save either one of them. Maybe they all die. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, that's going to be exciting. And you can find me on Twitch and Twitter at In7TheLegend. Awesome. Yeah, go check out his streams. That sounds fun. I'm sure it's going to be chaotic and terrible. Uh, <laughs> and robotsradio.net for all of the other shows on the network, including my shows. You guys know where all that stuff is. And thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Chat, thank you for joining us for the live show. And I'm looking forward to chatting with our patrons next week. We'll see you then. Until then, stay safe out there. And, you know, maybe maybe don't be angry at your dad so you murder people. That's how you become indoctrinated. That's it. See you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.